The readings from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go, and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. We're spending this uh, term looking at the mission of the church, having kind of covered once again our vision in September, which is essentially to become, to be disciples of Jesus or students or apprentices. Um, We're zeroing in on that third goal of of that vision, which is the doing what Jesus did. Um, or in other words, seeking to see the world uh, we're in today through his eyes, with his heart, and to be his hands and his feet. And as part of the wider church in London, I realize the writing on this is a bit too small, um, but we are engaged on, uh, with the, the diocesan capital vision, which seeks for, as Mike said, every Londoner to encounter the love of God in Christ Jesus uh, between now and 2030. Um, Under that, we've got three ambitions. um, uh, Confident disciples, we looked at last week. Compassionate communities, that's what we've got today. And creative growth, Um, that'll be next week. Matt's going to preach to us on that. Uh, Plus these three priorities of growing younger. um, Asterisk, we'll talk about that and what that means uh, when we come to speak about it doesn't just mean all the old people need to go away. Can I just make that very, very clear? (laughs) That is not what it means to grow younger. Um, Safer and more racially diverse. Um, And and all kind of key biblical principles if you look at um, the church in the Bible. And as we preach on each of these, uh, we'll be learning about these kind of three mission priorities. So I know there's a lot of language here. Um, Identified by the All Souls leadership, the clergy, the wardens, the PCC. Um, and how they fit into that bigger diocesan vision. So um, that's developing our welcome and connection, investing in our work with children and young people, and renewing, uh, reimagining uh, our ministry with Ivy Bridge. This morning, uh, we're focusing then on compassionate communities, and in particular, why, 
Jesus' teaching on compassion leads us to the poor, those marginalized, those disadvantaged. So why should we, as disciples of Jesus, have compassion? Why should we care? And in a world which is so uh, utterly broken, is it even worth trying to change it? What difference can we possibly hope to make? Now, the parable of the Good Samaritan is a, is a classic, isn't it? It's a story and a message that has endured in our secular kind of post-Christian society from politicians, sports people, educators. The idea of helping those in need, even when not our friends, has remained a kind of a, a value which is taught and is aspired to. In fact, it's easy to forget that before Jesus, and in fact, even in Jesus' time, it was deeply countercultural idea to take any responsibility for anyone who wasn't a close friend or family member. If you went back to Roman culture, it just wasn't something that other people should do. But while the application of love your neighbor is, is kind of upheld today, taking Jesus out of the story risks missing the whole point of the story, because this parable is about so much more than being nice. A man on the road to Jericho is beaten up and left for dead. Two people, uh, religious leaders, choose to walk on by, but the third, an unwelcome foreigner, stops to help. And a question is usually posed in children's groups or in sermons, who, who are you going to be in that story? You know, are you going to be one of those people that walk by or are you going to be the one who stops and cares? That's not actually how the church fathers, most of them, saw this story at all. We are not, to them, the other people walking along the road. Rather, we are the man left beaten up by the roadside. And Jesus is the one who stopped. Let me explain, because I think Jesus' primary aim here was to paint a picture of the gospel message. The man beaten up in the story is you. Whether it is through your own sin or the sin of others, you have been left damaged, hurting, helpless, broken, all of us. In modern terminology, one of the effects of living in the fallen world as we do is trauma. But in the cross, Jesus meets our trauma with his trauma. Just listen to the story. See how what the Good Samaritan does maps onto what Jesus does for us in our brokenness. First, he sees us. The Samaritan didn't look the other way. Second, he came close. Jesus came into the world. He became one of us. Third, he had compassion on us. He tended to our wounds, our place of need. Fourth, he rescued us and took us to safety by his death for us. Fifth, like the Good Samaritan, he paid the price himself. And then finally, like the Samaritan, Jesus left, but crucially promised to return. The man is you and me. The Good Samaritan is Jesus. And just imagine what that story would have meant to the disciples in the early church who were suffering violence and persecution, who knew the realities and pain of a broken world. Now, this is the essential starting point for us. Compassion 
isn't something that can easily be driven or worked up in ourselves. The truth is, we're too selfish. I know I am. Our hearts are too cold. We're too busy trying to address our own needs to put others truly first. Unless we have been rescued, cared for, loved, treated, paid for by someone else. 1 John um, 4.19 puts it very simply like this. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. And in the story, Jesus finishes by saying to this expert in the law who's, you know, whose question, who is my neighbor, provoked this most famous of parables by Jesus. Jesus says to him, go and do likewise. Or in other words, go and do what I did. Loving others is virtually impossible if we haven't first experienced love. Psychologists will tell you that. Loving like Jesus is virtually impossible if we don't start with his love for us. Now, that's a ridiculously short summary of um, our Bible passage today, but I hope you can see why Jesus calls us then to be people of compassion in the world. And in fact, not just um, he calls us to be the sort of people in that sort of church, but how we can possibly hope to do it by being rooted in his love. But I want to jump straight away into what it, that looks like today. How to be a church and people who do what Jesus did. And let's start with looking at the areas the Diocese of London is focusing on, asking us to focus on. I should um, mention at this point, um, there is a team in the diocese now kind of dedicated to helping churches work out how to respond in this area of becoming compassionate communities. One of the team um, is Patty there in the middle. Um, she's a friend of ours from Bristol Days um, and who has her finger on the pulse, particularly with what is happening in regards to asylum seekers and homeless people. Um, I spoke to her the other day in relation to a question asked by the PCC um, about this. Um, just to explain, if you don't know, the PCC is the kind of the elected um, kind of co-leadership of the church um, is elected by people on the electoral roll. To be on the electoral roll, you need to be baptized and attending here for um, six months. And then uh, every year, there's an opportunity to um, elect people or to stand to be on the PCC. Um, and uh, they work, I think the job is to work with the vicar and clergy uh, to, to lead the church. Um, and also just to say, um, I hope maybe we might be able to get Patty to come along and share with us herself at some point. But under um, compassionate communities, every church has been asked to focus on a couple of things. The first is creation care. Um, you may or may not be aware that the Church of England has set a target of being carbon neutral by 2030, which is quite a big challenge when you look at our building, um, but we'll find a way. Um, we've already uh, achieved our bronze award on the Arosha Eco Church Scheme. We'd love to start looking at what that next level uh, silver would entail. Um, you know, once upon a time... Um, Caring for our planet was a bit of a, a kind of a fringe pursuit, um, usually by some amazing but slightly bonkers people in the church. It was um, Gordon and Eileen Bennett in the church when I was growing up. Turns out that they were just way, way ahead of their time um, and, and deeply prophetic um, in their care for God's creation when really a lot of people weren't thinking about it. As Bishop Graham said, this is a credibility issue in the church. You know, our gospel makes very little sense if we don't live by that initial vocation given to humanity in Genesis to rule and steward the creation wisely under God's reign. That's where the, the story of the Bible starts and finishes, creation to new creation. 
Second, each church has been asked to develop some form of compassionate outreach in the local community, a prophetic action that points to something of the coming kingdom of God. Um, and six areas have been suggested for churches to consider um, and maybe choose from choose one from. Uh, so firstly, debt and financial well-being, enabling churches to offer money advice and debt relief. Uh, secondly, mental health isolation and well-being. Third, uh, supporting refugees and asylum seekers. Uh, fourth, tackling modern-day slavery. I've talked about that in the past. Um, fifth, addressing serious youth violence. This is a vision for the whole of London. Um, safer communities for all young people. And sixth, homelessness and housing. So enabling churches to address housing need. And this is what brings us um, to our focus on Ivy Bridge. So Ivy Bridge, for those who don't know, is part of our parish which stretches from the Twickenham Road um, over across to the National Rugby Stadium. Um, it's really important, I think, not to caricature Ivy Bridge as a place full of problems. It's not. Um, but it does have a higher concentration of people affected by at least, I think, five of those six areas, according to the, the demographics and census information. So, to be clear, the gospel puts us all equally as broken people in need of God's rescue. But Jesus made a particular focus of those who are considered on the margins and disadvantaged. In fact, he often portrayed poor people as being closer to his kingdom, closer to the kingdom of heaven than the rich. The origins of All Souls' connection with Ivybridge go back to the year 2000, um, when St. Stephen's Church Twickenham, where Mike joined us from, um, planted a, a congregation into All Souls, which at that point had been due to close, um, and also at the same time, into Ivy Bridge in the form of Ivy Bridge Community Church, led by Luke Taylor. Um, we have friends from years ago who were part of that plant back in 2000. And for five years, some fantastic ministry was carried out on and around the estate. But when the funding for that, um, that, that position, that role ran out um, or ended, Ivy Bridge was brought into All Souls parish. It was previously part of another parish. And so responsibility for mission and ministry there fell to All Souls Church. And the story since then has been of um, these kind of successive waves of mission and ministry on the estate. Um, in the years leading up to the pandemic in particular, that work was coordinated by Fee Budden, now the Reverend Fee Budden, who as Ivy Bridge Community Chaplain employed by All Souls oversaw a wonderful range of activities, missional activities from food banks to teaching English as a foreign language, debt and parenting advice, a, a, a whole load of other things. Probably um, some of you know those things better than I do. Many members of All Souls were part of that. Some of you uh, here today. Fee left her role just as the pandemic struck, um, leading to, um, to go be uh, a train for ordination, leading to much of the activity at that point closing down because of the way it, it kind of um, coincided with the pandemic and that, that limiting a lot of activity too. The food bank remained and it was a significant resource for many from the estate until that too was closed down uh, at the end of 2021. All this to say that All Souls has a fantastic track record in this sort of stuff. Um, in fact, I know that um, you know, some of you, many of you who I've spoken to came to be part of All Souls because of this focus. And many have given sacrificially to that work and some continue to do so today. Over the last 18 months, 
as we've sought to renew our vision and mission priorities, direct work on Ivy Bridge has been on pause. Of course, our, our ministry and mission continues there as it does in the rest of our parish. You know, I take funerals and do pastoral visits and um, our autumn and Christmas flyers are delivered there. Um, so everything else goes on. But through um, out 2022, a, a, a small group of us gathered um, at, from time to time on Ivy Bridge to chat and to pray about what the Lord was calling us to do next. And the heart of what we felt was that God was calling us to be present on the estate once again, not to be sort of outsiders trying to help, but actually becoming and being part of that estate again. And, you know, we had a sense that there were probably Christians living on Ivy Bridge already that we didn't know about. In fact, we do know there are some, um, some of you here this morning, um, there are members of the church already who live there. Perhaps we could learn something from them. And the moment that this really kind of fell into place for us was last December when I was asked to meet with an ordinand in training called Ritesh Patelia, who, guess what, has lived on Ivy Bridge for the last 10 years. Um, get that, you know, and he didn't know that All Souls Church existed, and we didn't know that he was there, but he was there. So a long story short, we now have a curate. We've got two wonderful curates. Mikey's leading this morning, um, and Ritesh, who's not here this morning, actually, he's away with his family today. Um, and he lives on, his, on Ivy Bridge with his family there. And we have some funding, and we have, um, now that the PCC has set ministry with Ivy Bridge as one of our mission priorities for the next three years. Here are the words that go with that. And I think this captures something of why, why we're saying that the church is more complete by, um, you know, in the, the same way that we're, we're old and young together. We are people of every tribe, tongue, and nation, of every... Uh, part of society, of every place, of every origin. That's what makes us the body of Christ. So these are the words. There is, this is the vision for 2026. In three years' time, there is, once again, a worshipping community that meets on the Ivy Bridge estate that is serving the needs of the local community. Through our ministry with Ivy Bridge, we better understand the heart of Jesus, making us a more diverse, connected, and faithful church. We are hearing stories of God at work in the lives of people in the community. That's the vision. That's the, the, the hope, the dream for our ministry with Ivy Bridge. That's what we feel God is calling us to be and do and to create over the next three years. And we're, so we're praying and we're talking and we're starting to imagine what that next uh, kind of chapter of the story of All Souls and Ivy Bridge will look like. Um, it's always good to end uh, on a practical note. So just to bring this uh, sermon into into land. Obviously, there's much more to say about all of that, but um, you know, we, I'm aware we've got the, the the kids in with us this morning, and they're doing a great job of just uh, cracking on with their stuff. But I don't want to um, force them into that position for too long. Um, so it's good to end on a practical note. If you're looking for a takeaway from today's sermon, first, maybe um, this is resonating with you immediately. Um, you know, if you've been around longer than me, you may have wondered what had happened to all the sort of all souls focus on Ivy Bridge. Maybe you felt a bit frustrated about that. Our hope is that we're ready to, to start moving forward again in the very near future now. You know, maybe God is calling you this morning to be part of that. You know, if that's you, if God is putting that on your heart, please uh, do get in touch with me. Presence is going to be key uh, within this, like I said. Second, of course, being a compassionate community doesn't have to be limited to one geographical part of our parish. Maybe there are other needs around the parish or in the communities in which you, you kind of live and work and play, where the, which the Holy Spirit has been drawing your attention to. You know, pray about that. 
Ask God to show you what he sees in the world around you and what he wants you to do about it. Sometimes it's, it's just very simple, small prophetic acts um, which are important. It doesn't have to be something that changes the world. Sometimes the small things actually um, change the world. I was um, hearing about a, a church recently um, on Monday night, wasn't it, at the Bishop's Vision evening. And what, they, they set up an idea where very simply they decided to bake bread. They called the pro- project Daily Bread. Each week they bake, I think it was it five or six loaves of bread, not too many, five or six loaves of bread. And then they just take a loaf of bread to a house in the parish. And they're working their way around the whole parish. They say it's going to take them a long time to get all around the parish, one loaf of bread at a time. It's simple, it's cheap, um, but it is bringing people into encounter with the church and, and uh, bringing them into people's lives. Sometimes something small and prophetic and God-given will make a real difference. Third, um, if you feel passionate about climate change um, and creation care, come and help us think about how we can kind of level up to silver on the eco-church scheme. I'm, I can't remember how, how many it is. I think there's only six the churches in the country that have reached gold, um, and only one in London. Um, but let's see if we can get up to silver. It will make a real difference if all churches do that. Um, finally, perhaps you feel a little bit cold about all of this, if you're honest with yourself. I know I do sometimes, whether it's compassion fatigue, you know, often through being a kind of a powerless spectator of the news, which let's face it, (laughs) yeah. Or, you know, whether when you just search your heart, you realize that you you just don't care that much. You kind of know you should or you wish you did, but you've tried very hard to care, but you don't really. Well, you know, let me just remind you of that verse, we love because he first loved us. If you want to love more like Jesus, it starts with spending time with Jesus, and letting his heart rub off onto our hearts. It starts with you receiving his love.